Thanks for tuning in to the Direct Access to Oxford Physical Therapy podcast, where we talk about your body, how it moves, and empowering you with the knowledge to manage and treat your pain or discomfort. You will also get an exclusive behind-the-scenes look at a successful private practice. You have the questions, and we have the answers. Now let's get moving. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Direct Access to Oxford Physical Therapy podcast. I'm your host, Matt. And your co-host, Allie. And we are already in June. <laughs> Unbelievable. I think I will continually be surprised every month change. Months are flying by. Yeah. We have some exciting things going on and uh, time to share. That's right. Time to share our Clinical Corner article for the month of June. Yeah. Matt, will you just take us back? People are just now joining new listeners, our podcast. Mm -hmm. Welcome. Um, we just remind them what these Clinical Corner articles are, why we use them, why are we sharing them? For sure. So, you know, I like to think about this podcast like a buffet. We have a little <laughs> bit for everyone. So, <laughs> My favorite place to be. Yeah. So um, we, we have a large contingent of student listeners. So we like to include the article um, for the students so they can, you know, keep up on current trends in the field. Um, as well as other PTs that might be listening out there, new articles, but also for our patients so that they can see uh, the latest, greatest techniques. And often these are techniques that we're, we're trained in. So we're doing evidence-based practice and bringing the most current things to our patients each day in the offices. So That's right. And we share these articles monthly with our staff meetings in, mm -hmm. in like our company. So we do. Mm -hmm. our PTs are also up to date and implementing these kind of evidence-based practice in That's our right. own clinics. Yeah. And so, you know, we've, uh, we've had several episodes uh, where we've talked about knee replacement. And um, uh, this article, I think, is, is really, really timely because it actually talks about knee replacement. And unfortunately, if you're still having pain after knee replacement, maybe a treatment or an option for you. Okay. So uh, for our new listeners, we always give a little teaser in the beginning. We always give a question for our students out there to kind of think about. So um, I'd like students to kind of just think through um, if you were treating a patient that had, uh, you know, persistent pain after knee replacement, what might be an intervention uh, that you could introduce to help that patient? Is this persistent pain like, you know, six months after? Mm-hmm. Or like yeah. the day after, because that could be. <laughs> yeah, not not immediately following, um, f you know, like physical therapy um, or surgery, but it would be, um, you know, at three, six, or twelve months after surgery, you're still having pain. Awesome. That was kind of their criteria. I thought so. Yeah. So, um, the title of the article, and this might give students the answer, but maybe you're not paying attention. <laughs> Dry needling combined with physical therapy in patients with chronic post-surgical pain following total knee arthroplasty. And this is a case series. So they actually looked at real live patients. Um, they looked at cases. So they had a pool of 90 patients that were treated at a rehabilitation um, hospital in, in Chile. And this was back in 2015, between okay. January and August. Um, and they had knee replacement. And then the subjects were recruited um, by two different surgeons, and they were looking again at people that had persistent pain at 3, 6, and 12 months. And they had completed traditional physical therapy. So they, you know, were quote-unquote released or finished with therapy, uh, but they just still had persistent pain. Um, so to be included in this study, uh, patients had to be um, willing to participate in dry needling, obviously, because that's a component of this. And what they wanted to look at was 
um, which I think is really, really good, is if they combine dry needling with physical therapy, because either one alone may not give the best results. And that's what we always talk about is what we call multimodal or, you know, different modalities at the same time approach. Okay. So, um, and that, that was cool in this study, because a lot of times you'll look at a study and they might do dry needling or they might do physical therapy, but um, this one, they combined both, which was really, really cool. So um, when they looked at patients that had this persistent pain, um, they uh, blinded the physical therapist to the intervention. So it was kind of cool. Um, the PT, um, you know, just kind of didn't know um, the pre-intervention and post-intervention. Uh, they didn't know the subjects as far as what their limitations were. Um, the therapist that did the initial uh, evaluation was not the therapist that was doing the treatment. So it introduced a little bit more, um, hopefully, took out some bias yeah. in that situation. I think I asked you that last time we did this. It's like, these clinical trials, do they know that they're in a clinical trial? Well, yeah, they know. They gave, they gave their consent for sure, and the therapist knew they were participating in it. Um, but the first therapist that performed the pre- and post-intervention assessments um, didn't do the intervention. Mm -hmm. So that They're not uh, their takes regular away, patient. Takes away some of your bias, maybe. So that helps just a little bit. Okay. Um, so... Again, Allie will share our article in our notes so you guys can take a look at this. But there's, uh, if you know, kind of a nice figure that shows exactly what they did. So um, this was like a four-week protocol, and they did three sessions in the first three weeks with a session of dry needling. And then in the fourth week, they did one session of dry needling and one session of physical therapy. And they had a pretty standard protocol. And this would be, a, I would say, a typical you know, um, knee program for strength and flexibility. So they did some biking. They did some stretching of the major muscle groups in the hip and thigh. They did some quadricep, the big muscle on top of your knee strengthening. Um, they did some balance exercises, some walking training, and some work on the stairs. So the physical therapy exercise portion wasn't, uh, you know, super regimented. I mean, there was some variability. They could do some different things. Um, depending on what the patient needed, which, again, I think is very real world, very appropriate. That's typically what we do. We tailor it. You know, we might work balance exercises, but some patients might do balance on one leg. Some patients might do balance on a cushion. Just kind of depends on their level and what their goal is. Okay. So I think this was a pretty appropriate thing. And then the dry needling was added um, one time in this study, one time each week. And so sometimes, you know, that's that's what we'll do, uh, maybe dry needling once a week and therapy several times a week, or maybe dry needling every time with therapy. Again, it kind of depends. But How many visits per week, basically? Yeah. Okay. But this study was designed to have, you know, one visit of dry needling and then three visits of therapy. So um, after the four-week intervention, um, they did some, you know, re-measurement, rechecking. And what's really cool is that there was pretty significant response. Um you know, the, the dry needling with the exercises, um, they had clinical significant improvements in their pain, their range of motion, both their flexion, so bending their knee and their extension, um, and their function, which they measure function on a patient questionnaire. Um, any of our patients listening out there have seen those dreaded <laughs> clipboards and pen that come your way every few visits. Is it the one that's like scale of one to 10 and the one has a really sad face and the 10 has a no. really happy face? <laughs> uh, well, that's a pain rating. Okay. Um, 
And these patients in the study, their pain ratings all got significantly better, which is significant progress, which is good. Um, but we have functional questionnaires. So they ask things like, um, you know, going up and down a flight of stairs, walking a mile, walking oh, okay. on an even ground. And these are standardized measures that we, you know, they use for research. Um, insurance companies use them. Therapists use them. And we talk about minim- minimally clinically significant changes. And so there were changes in these uh, functional questionnaires, which is, a, which is cool, too. Um, because ultimately, it's great when patients feel better and can move better, but we want to make sure that it's translating to them daily being life. able, yeah, yeah, daily life, them being able to actually do more. So um, some of the range of motion improvements are, are really cool. I mean, um, you know, like some of the, the average folks was uh, about five degrees improvement in knee flexion, and that's that's pretty cool. Um, so that's a pretty big jump. Is um, it? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I think if you are a patient that's struggling, I think it offers a lot of hope. Um, if you have had a knee replacement and you're, you know, maybe a little bit unhappy with your result now and it's been three months or more and you're sitting there thinking, well, this is the best I can do. Mm-hmm. I think this study would show you that there's, um, you know, more potential out there. Uh, for you to continue to get better. And I think combining, especially combining the dry needling with the physical therapy is really the key, you know, not just one or the other. Right. You know, so one of the things patients always ask uh, when we talk about dry needling, dry needling, it's a real common question is, isn't that acupuncture or is it the same as acupuncture? And you say. Well, what I say is we're like uh, acupuncturists and therapists are like plumbers and carpenters. We both have tools that might be the same. Plumbers and carpenters might both use hammers and wrenches, but they're different trades. And so acupuncture and and dry needling are are totally different fields, different philosophy, um, different rationale as far as why you needle, although we use the same tool. Mm -hmm. We both use the same type of needle. We just apply them differently. And what I think is interesting is that um, the patient questionnaire that I was talking about uh, there's one of them called the WOMAC, and that's a questionnaire. They look at clinical improvements and functional abilities. Um, there was a study that they did, um, and they looked at uh, acupuncture uh, and exercise for treatment of knee arthrosis or arthritis, and it actually provided no improvement in the WOMAC hmm. questionnaire after six months. That was going to be my question. Have they ever put dry needling and acupuncture head-to-head for the same issue? Well, they've done you know some things. Not exactly um, for in in the, within the same study, yeah. But like this, there's similar studies out there. Okay. So this similar study was looking at you know a similar diagnosis: knee pain, knee arthritis. This is a little different, looking at post-total knee. Mm-hmm. Um, but the authors of this article do give some thoughts about maybe why. So um, the contradictory results, like acupuncture didn't do anything and dry needling did. And why is that? Well, that kind of goes back to my point about the theory of what's behind acupuncture and what's Mm -hmm. behind dry needling. What makes them different? Yeah, dry needling is much more direct. I tell patients, we're going after the exact muscle. We're going after the nerve root. We're going after what we call the trigger point. So that painful tender Right where that pain hurts is where the needle's going. And and so the the authors kind of echo that. You know, they say in acupuncture, it's not necessarily what they're targeting, uh, where with dry needling we are. Um, and oftentimes, you know, with dry needling, uh, patients who are listening that have experienced it will 
report what they call muscle twitch. So it's like a quick yeah. spasm in the muscle. And that may be part of the reason why there was some differences, and that could be what they attribute the benefit from dry needling versus the benefit with acupuncture. And we're be. not acupuncturists. I don't Correct. know if that's a word. Nope. but Very clearly, we're not. Would you... <laughs> Would you say that acupuncturists, um, they go more for like your chakras and your auras and like maybe you have a headache, but I'm going to put it in the bottom of your foot kind of thing? Yeah, that's that's very, yeah, I mean, that that is what the theory difference is. They're typically needling, uh, they could needle in indirect areas. Mm-hmm. So you could have a knee problem. There could be an acupuncture point that may be in your hand. So it's yeah. an indirect treatment. So okay. may work for certain things. And, you know, again, I'm, I'm not here to say right. uh, anything about that treatment mm-hmm. other than just to say the differences in dry needling versus acupuncture is dry needling is much more direct. Mm-hmm. If you have a knee problem, the, the furthest we would go from the knee would be maybe to the lower back. Just because in our theory, that nerve root is coming from the lower back to the knee. But we're not going to go to the other arm or the mm-hmm. hand or some other alternative area. What we like to call up the chain. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> I'm learning as we go along, guys. <laughs> yeah. So previous listeners, uh, you know, have learned we follow links in the chain. So for, you know, dry needling, for, uh, you know, following pain after knee replacement. This study, they mainly address the local trigger points around the knee, but we could definitely go as high as the hip and et cetera. Um, so... Anyone out there had a knee replacement, not too happy with results, or know someone that's still struggling, first place to start is an evaluation, mm-hmm. which the cool thing is people have direct access I to knew we were physical getting there. therapy. <laughs> so you can come in for an evaluation, an assessment. Let us take a look and see. Um, again, this study validates what we're already doing. You might be a great candidate for combining knee you know, therapy, knee exercise, knee strengthening with dry needling. The cool thing is when you are thinking about having a knee replacement, we've talked many times about this, mm-hmm. um, do your homework. Yeah. You know, look at your prehab. What are you going to do before surgery to right. get ready? Um, what are you going to do after surgery? And choose your therapist. Put as much time into choosing your therapist as you do choosing your surgeon or choosing your dry cleaner or choosing <laughs> whatever else you choose in your life. But just investigate it. Don't yeah. take the path of least resistance because... At Oxford, what we're going to do is we're going to introduce this dry needling. We're not going to wait until you're having pain for three months. We're going to introduce this much sooner. So I think our patients are getting the benefit of this treatment before they even get to the quote-unquote persistent pain stage. And if you are someone that's listening and you want to start your homework, we do have a couple episodes on total knee replacements, dry needling, if you want to learn a little bit more about each of those. Um, Matt, I know this is my big question right now. So when you get a knee replacement, Mm -hmm. is it those like metal pieces that's like a ball and socket, kind of like total bionic knees, new knees? Yeah, they're replacing the ends of the large bone, the femur and the tibia, and then typically the back of the patella. So those components are now metal or plastic, and the joint is, is replaced. So... When you're saying that dry needling helps, they're not going in and needling those areas, right? No, they're needling the around. around okay. Mm-hmm. So they're not yep. doing metal on metal. Nope. Correct. Okay. And that's, you know, um, you've, you've heard of people talk about phantom limb pain, right? You can yeah. have a limb that's amputated and still hurts. Still feel it. So even though the joint's replaced, you can still have pain. And mm-hmm. pain is very complicated and very complex. And your brain and your nervous system have a tremendous role in mediating or maintaining pain. And so that's the other theory that the authors address in this article is that 
um, there's this theory called centralization of pain. So pain can sometimes come from um, the joint. So an example I'll use with patients, if you take a hammer and whack your thumb, your thumb hurts. Yeah, <laughs> I'd you imagine. If you do that for, say, 30 days in a row or, say, for three months in a row or, say, for wow. 10 years in a row, a and you do crazy. that every day, yeah. all of a sudden, when you see a hammer, your thumb's going to hurt. You don't even have to hit Is that it. like Pavlov's dogs kind yeah, of Yeah, your body starts to learn. And so there's these pain responses that we learn. And so when you have an arthritic joint and you've had that arthritic joint for the last 10 or 15 years, there's some learned responses and behaviors okay. there. And so uh, we need those kind of other mechanisms like with dry needling and other hands-on techniques and pain education to break down some of that. So, so certain guys amount are more, of patients need that. More than, you know, th physical therapists, you're also kind of mental therapists. Well, I mean, there's a there's a mental component to rehab. There's a mental component to, you know, to physical therapy for sure and um, encouraging patients and, and helping patients through that with the right mental approach uh, and helping them understand that. I think that's the biggest thing is just educating patients. Um, you know, once you understand what's going on, I think you can be a much more active and willing participant in the rehab process. Yeah, that's why we believe physical therapists are just so well-rounded people. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks everyone for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the June Clinical Corner. And uh, Any of the students worried about their answer if well, they didn't catch on? <laughs> I mean, if you didn't catch on, you know, you should know by now. But if you have that patient with persistent knee pain when you begin practice, um, hopefully you're trained at dry needling when you start. That's we train all of our new hires and new students right out of the gate with dry needling. But hopefully uh, you know how to do that. But if you aren't in a situation where you do, uh, introduce that dry needling for that persistent knee pain after knee replacement. And study shows that got a good chance of helping someone. That sounds good to me. Awesome. We'll be talking to you all soon. Thanks a lot. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. You can find us online at OxfordPhysicalTherapy.com. And you can also find us on our social media pages like Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, and TikTok. Remember, you do not need a doctor's referral to receive physical therapy in the state of Ohio and Kentucky, where we offer double the care for less than half the cost. You can schedule appointments online or stop into any center for a free screen, what we like to call a bee visit. Please write a review, send us a comment or message on our social media platforms, and until next time, keep it moving!